UAB MedCast is an ongoing medical education podcast. The UAB Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please visit uabmedicine.org slash medcast and complete the episode's post-test. Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, bringing knowledge to your world. Here's Melanie Cole. The University of Alabama at Birmingham, one of the nation's leading hospitals in robotic surgery volume, is enhancing its work in the field. Here to discuss the new single port robot as it relates to urology surgeries are my guests, Dr. Sarush Rezbarami and Dr. Jeffrey Nix, and they're both urologists at UAB Medicine. Dr. Rezbarami, I'd like to start with you. What was previously done for urologic issues? How have advancements in instrumentation given birth to the era of robotic laparoendoscopic single-site techniques? So there's been a clear progression from open surgical techniques to laparoscopic, minimally invasive approaches. And then with the advent of robotic technologies, robot-assisted laparoscopic techniques. And now, with the newest single-port robotic platform, we've minimized the number of incisions and the size of the overall incision burden to achieve the robotic approach, to achieve a lot of the surgeries that classically would be done through larger incisions and open approaches when the patients are appropriately selected for these cases. And we're going to discuss patient selection. But before we do that, Dr. Nix, tell us about the new Da Vinci SP single port surgical system. How's it going to change the landscape of urologic surgeries that you're doing at UAB and why the need for this? So I think what you see with the single port system is a continued evolution of minimally invasive surgery. Um, you know, to, to piggyback onto what Dr. Race Barami has said, Basic laparoscopic surgery in its inception was a, a incredible progress over open surgery, but was very difficult to teach, very difficult to do. The instruments were unwieldy. These, uh, you know, single degrees of freedom, uh, very basic instruments have now progressed even in those approaches, but the technology has gotten better. Things have gotten smaller. The ability to minimize things has made, uh, you know, trocars or port or incision sites that might have been an inch before. Now we can do them as as small as five millimeters in terms of multi-port incisions. But still, if you were going to have a gallbladder removed, you might have three or four small incisions. If you were going to have your prostate removed, you might have four or five or even six small incisions. And so you have a minimally invasive approach, but you still have multiple different uh, wounds to heal from. So the, the single port platform can take that down to one or two small incisions. And again, for cancer surgeries, like a lot of the procedures that Dr. Race Barami and I are doing, we're taking out tissue at the end of the case. So as example, the, the, the single port platform fits through about a one-inch incision. So I can hide that incision in the belly button, and I can still get out the prostate through that one-inch incision and minimize the morbidity to our patients. So the biggest quest in terms of minimally invasive surgeons as an overarching theme is can we do the same operation that classically would have been done through a large open incision, but can we do that through these small, tiny incisions that maximize recovery for patients and minimize their morbidity? So we're trying to do the same operation or even do it better 
but doing it through less morbidity. And so I think that's what you see with the single port approach is another step in that evolution towards less and less invasivity as we improve our patient outcomes in terms of short-term outcomes like time back to work. Dr. Race Barami, then tell us about patient selection and how important that is for this particular type of procedure. Who is it indicated for and who might it not be? Well, currently in urologic surgery, this has been used for a multitude of different surgical techniques. The single port robotic platform has been FDA approved first in urologic surgeries and has also been recently approved for transoral surgeries by our ENT colleagues nationwide as well. In urology specifically, this new robotic platform has been used for cancer surgeries as well as non-cancer surgeries done by urologic surgeons. I'd say at UAB, the majority of single port robotic cases have been done as prostate surgeries for an indication of prostate cancer or kidney surgeries with an indication of either kidney tumors being removed, kidney cancers being treated, or in cases of urinary tract blockage where reconstructive surgeries have been done on the urinary tract between the kidney and the bladder along the ureter's drainage tube. Dr. Reis Barami, so what you were just speaking of, is that what it is now, as of now, FDA approved for, and do you see that changing in the future? As with the evolution of uh, surgical technologies and surgical techniques that Dr. Nix nicely reviewed, as the robotic platform gets further tested and expanded, I do envision that the indications and the approvals will likely expand. Um, you know, urology has been a leader among surgical specialties in terms of progressive minimally invasive surgeries and endoscopies historically. And I think it is very fitting that the single port robotic platform, which has a small profile entrance at the incision level, but can reach into deep structures of the pelvis, for example, things like prostate surgery or deep bladder or ureter surgery in the pelvis, it really provides an advantage. It's also seen by the second FDA approval for our ENT colleagues that do limited space surgeries through a transoral approach that this single port robotic platform really allows us access to a small field that may be otherwise difficult and challenging to access. As Dr. Nix also mentioned, the conventional laparoscopy through multiple ports or even the robot-assisted laparoscopy through multiple ports really requires triangulation and sometimes a different amount of space to actually access a focal point where we're operating deep either in the pelvis or our colleagues may be operating in the deep oral pharynx or deep throat region. So this technology may really fit a niche that was otherwise very challenging, even with other robotic and laparoscopic devices. And I would like to jump in and add, you know, the there's also the surgeon discretion to use these agents off-label um, you know, for indications that seem appropriate uh, where the FDA has not yet approved specifically for an indication. And we see that already in urologic surgeries. I mean, when you have expert robotic surgeons using a platform that they are now very comfortable with, we see an evolution of that really quickly to using it for off-label procedures like partial nephrectomies, removing a part of the kidney that has become cancerous 
is not currently FDA indicated, but is an easy um, sort of a, a way for us to innovate and, and use this in an off-label indication for a tool that we've begun to master based on our use for other procedures. So, Dr. Nix, based on what Dr. Race Barami said, do you feel it hasn't gained or has gained widespread acceptance? And as he was mentioning, adequate triangulation and and bedside assistant wrist articulation, there's all these technical considerations. What do you feel other providers are thinking of this particular type of procedure? And what about the learning curve? Is there a difficult learning curve for the use of the newer robots? Yeah, I think you're going to see it in a cycle of innovation like you do with any new product, right? So you're going to have early adapters that are going to come well before the remainder of the field. And I think that's what you see at UAB. I mean, there are currently about 15 platforms in existence in the U.S. And, you know, in our utilization here, I'm one of the highest volume users in the world. So we are early adopters of this technology. It is a different tool, and it does have a learning curve associated with it. And we've been, Dr. Race Brahmi and I have been involved in, you know, testing this tool at different trips out to uh, the corporate headquarters for, you know, well into six, eight months before the pl- platform ever became available. So in a lots of different ways, you're going to see interest grow in our field as this becomes more mainstream. And, and this is what, if you go back and look at the history of multi-port robotic surgery, it's what you saw in that as well. You have early adopters and then you have the rest of the field take off. What I will tell you and what Dr. Ray Sparmi, I hope, would echo is that this is a very, very good technology. And when you see tools like this as early adopters come out that are good, then you know the rest of the field will eventually adopt it. It's just a matter of time. An example of where that wasn't necessarily the case is with single incision laparoscopic surgery or SILs, or there were different uh, uh, mnemonics for this. But when that came out, when Dr. Race Brahmi and I were both in training, it was incredibly difficult, incredibly arduous to use, and it died out pretty quickly. So those early adopters who were involved in single incision laparoscopic surgery without the advent of all the technology that we have now with the robotics, you saw uh, you saw this die out pretty quickly because it wasn't it just wasn't ready. What we're dealing with here in this technology is technology that has evolved significantly to allow the user to adapt it pretty quickly to their to their expertise and to their comfort level from the previous surgical platforms. And so I think you will see this continue to evolve um, as hospitals um, you know become more and more interested. Dr. Race Barami. Are there still clinical questions surrounding its use and and is this technology superior to another? Does it improve clinical outcome compared with standard laparoscopy? Kind of summarize it for us and what you guys are seeing as outcomes now. I think those are very valuable questions and questions that Dr. Nix and I and the rest of our clinical research team in the Department of Urology are actually investigating as we speak. As we have developed the program for the single-port robotic surgical techniques in our department, we are actively acquiring data on our clinical outcomes and comparing them not only to historic data, but our own series of multi-port robotic procedures, as well as laparoscopic and even open procedures uh, that have been historically understood to have a certain rate of 
complications or a certain rate of hospital uh, stays postoperatively as patients recover to try to evaluate just those questions to see if this is improving overall patient outcomes from a population standpoint. Now, from personal anecdotal experience, and I uh, believe Dr. Nix has seen the same thing, this has really provided a lot of patient satisfaction uh, where patients and their families are astounded by the fact that perhaps a radical prostatectomy can be done through an inch-long incision that significantly can be hidden within the uh, patient's umbilicus or belly button with perhaps one additional in small incision for a laparoscopic trocar site for our bedside assistant. A uh, number of patients have mentioned uh, after their procedures, they've come back for post-operative follow-up checks, how uh, straightforward their recoveries have been and how minimal uh, narcotic or other pain uh, medicine requirements they've had since the surgery and how quick their recovery has been. We recognize that this is all anecdotal, but we are currently investigating on a sort of methodical way whether or not this proves to be the same or significantly better compared to our standard approaches that we had before we adopted this technique. Thank you for clarifying that. You know, this is such an interesting topic and an interesting time to be in your field. So, Dr. Nix, last word to you here. Tell other physicians what you would like them to know about what you're doing there at UAB, when you feel it's important to refer, and maybe where you see this field going, what you see going on in the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the overarching theme I'd like to sort of express is our continued, continuous, continual desire to evolve surgery. Um, We won't rest. We won't stop. We want to continue to do the best thing possible for patients. And part of that requires a constant desire for innovation. So the field of robotic surgery or minimally invasive surgery will only grow more complex and there will be more players in the field with more different uh, opportunities. And so we need to be at the front edge of that curve trying to figure out where the innovation exists and where wasted resources exist. And so that's what we're trying to do. So I think our desire here is to really, really move the needle forward in terms of how we respect patient-centered outcomes. We want to be able to continue to provide great quality um, cancer outcomes in terms of the classic traditional things that we're looking for, but we really are focused on our patients here and trying to get the best we can out of the technologies that are available, and we want to continue to be at the leading edge of that curve. And I think that's what referring providers should notice about this or the next thing, because this won't be the last opportunity for innovation. Dr. Ray Sparami, have anything to add? I absolutely want to just uh, second uh, Dr. Nix's opinion that we want to uh, forge forward the field of surgery, the field of urology, and ultimately keep our patients as our number one goal and try to optimize their outcomes while maintaining the standards of therapy that we've always achieved, while again, minimizing uh, discomfort and minimizing the uh, duration uh, till they convalesce to uh, full activity, return to work, and comfort after their procedures. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming on in this panel discussion today and sharing your expertise. What an exciting time to be in your field. A community physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST. 
That wraps up this episode of UAB MedCast. For more information on resources available at UAB Medicine, head on over to our website at uabmedicine.org slash physician. If you as a provider found this podcast as informative as I did, please share with other providers, share on your social media, and be sure to check out all the other fascinating podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.